This is Matt Pennington with Radio Free Asia. Welcome to our weekly podcast on what's happening in the South China Sea, where we review recent events, diplomatic developments, and how we've been covering them at Radio Free Asia and Banar News. I'm joined by our South China Sea reporter, Drake Long. Hi, Drake. Hello. So, this week we'll look at why the United States submitted a diplomatic note to the UN Secretary General challenging the legal basis of China's sweeping claims in the South China Sea. That happened on June the 1st, and it comes on the heels of a flurry of diplomatic interventions by Southeast Asian nations, also speaking out on China's territorial claims. But first, we're talking about air defense identification zones, and in particular, speculation that China might declare an ADIS, as they're known, over the South China Sea a move that would be seen as entrenching its assertion of jurisdiction not over just the sea, islands and reefs of the South China Sea, but the skies above. That's despite the unresolved sovereignty disputes among a half dozen claimants. A recent article in the South China Morning Post newspaper in Hong Kong, citing an unnamed Chinese military source, suggested China has plans to declare such a zone. Now, Drake, you wrote uh, an analysis piece on this topic. Let's unpack this. First up, what is an air defense identification zone? Well, an air defense identification zone is not what people might be thinking by the term defense. It just means that there's a certain part of the airspace where civilian aircraft and commercial aircraft have to identify themselves uh, before passing into it. It's for tracking and identification purposes. It does not mean that no one can fly through that space. It's not the same thing as a no-fly zone whatsoever. So an air defense identification zone is simply a way to kind of tag and track aircraft that are coming towards your airspace but are not like quite within your territory yet. There's no set definition of it though because an ADIZ is not necessarily set down by international law or anything like that. There's no treaty governing what an ADIZ can be. Okay, okay. So do other countries other than China have them? Yes, uh, many do, actually. The USA set the precedent for what ADIS is back in, I think, the 1950s. Uh, we have one over North America. We share it with Canada. We have one over overseas territories. Japan has one that's pretty closely aligned with its exclusive economic zone under UNCLOS. Taiwan has one, too. So why would China possibly want to declare an ADIS over the South China Sea? So the thing about an aid is it's kind of a assertion of your jurisdiction over an area because you are saying this is our airspace. We want you to know exactly who you are crossing in here for national security purposes or national defense purposes. An aid is over the South China Sea, which is a massive area, would kind of cement China's argument that this is our area. If you're going to be passing through here, we own it. So you have to identify yourself to us. So it's another step in sort of asserting jurisdiction over the South China Sea. Having said that, most ADISs do not cover disputed areas like what an ADIS over the South China Sea would do. Okay, so how do you think other nations would be likely to react to such a step by China? Well, not well. Nobody would be happy with it, I can tell you that much. In ADIS over the entirety of the South China Sea, that would mean that whenever uh, Vietnam or the Philippines or Malaysia or anybody flies any supplies out to their bases in the South China Sea. You would have Chinese air traffic control saying, hey, identify yourself to us, this is our ADIS. And if they don't identify themselves because they don't recognize China having jurisdiction over that area, there's the threat of being intercepted. I mean, the main thing about an ADIS, the main way that you create an ADIS is by enforcement. You say how you will enforce the ADIS. 
it's kind of however far you're willing to go for that and how far China is willing to go could be sending fighter jets to intercept aircraft in the Aegean zone. That would draw incredible ire from regional countries. That's actually what a lot of them are concerned about. I understand that China declared an aid is over the East China Sea back That's in right. 2013. Could you tell us a little bit about that decision and and how it's played out over the years? Yeah, so the South China Sea Morning Post came out with this report that says that China has had plans for a South China Sea aid is since 2010, the same year that they apparently had plans for an East China Sea aid is. According to a CSIS report, they told a Japanese delegation they were thinking about an aid is in 2010 that sparked a bit of a controversy. When Japan purchased the Senkaku Islands, which China calls the Daoyu Dao, from a private owner in 2013, China reacted by declaring an aid is over the East China Sea. That did not go over well, obviously, with the neighborhood because no one up to that point had declared an aid is over disputed territory. It overlapped with South Korea's aid is. It overlapped with Japan's aid is. And by requiring people to identify themselves before going into that space, it just invited countries like the USA and Japan to defy it. Which is exactly what they did. Basically, I believe a day after that aid is was announced, the USA flew military aircraft through it, and just announced we're not going to recognize this aid is. There's no validity to it whatsoever. How about other nations? Have they have they abided by this aid is? So Japan does not recognize it, but every other country basically does. One thing to keep in mind here is, like I said, an aid is is not a no-fly zone. It technically really only applies to civil and commercial craft. And most airlines, you know, air carriers, passenger airlines, whatnot, are going to comply with it because it's basically just you call the local air traffic control tower, you say who you are, and that's it. So it's a tacit acknowledgement of a country's jurisdiction over an area. But I mean, if you're an air carrier, you don't want to provoke them. It doesn't take that much effort to simply make a call and pass on through. So today, pretty much every country, aside from the USA and Japan, recognize China's aid is over the East China Sea, including South Korea. So, do you think China is going to do this over the South China Sea? I mean, if it does do that, what would be the the challenges it would face? Yeah, so that was the question raised by the South China Sea Morning Post report, and that was the question I took to different experts. The plans called for an aid is over the Spratlys and Paracels and the Pratas Islands, as far back as 2010. China could declare an aid is over the South China Sea. It would not be enforceable whatsoever. There's simply no way that China would be able to enforce an air defense identification zone over the Spratlys, in particular. There are many other airstrips there. There are many different countries that fly through that airspace all the time. It would basically just be inviting a lot of different countries to defy it. Having said that, if China did declare an aid is over the South China Sea, because it's kind of a high risk, kind of low reward type of situation. I mean, a lot of air carriers do not want to get intercepted. They don't want to spark some type of international incident over this, so they'll simply call a radio tower and be okay with it. But fundamentally, China cannot take it to its logical conclusion and send in interceptors or fighter jets to intercept anybody who refuses to identify themselves because they don't really have the reach in the Spratlys yet. Other parts of the South China Sea are a little bit different. And、uh, actually, when I was talking with experts for this piece, they made the point that if China really wanted to enforce this, they'd probably resort to completely non-military measures,、uh, diplomatic pressure, economic pressure, which is what they did in 2013 with the East China Sea aid. Is although we often talk about China's growing military strength, they would still face a lot of logistical challenges to sort of enforce an aid is over the South China Sea. Absolutely. So- So, what do you think is the most likely scenario of how this will play out? So, China threatens to make an aid is. Other people kind of call the bluff, and they don't do it. 
like you said, there's logistical hurdles. China has not permanently deployed fighter jets to the South China Sea, especially in the Spratlys. And even if they did, they wouldn't have enough and they wouldn't really have the reach to intercept every single aircraft that refuses to identify itself. Having said that, there is a bit of a growing consensus that if China wanted to declare an aid is somewhere in the South China Sea, they could do it over the Parasol Islands. They control pretty much every airstrip in the Paracels. They control every feature already. And declaring an aid is over the Paracels is something they actually probably could enforce through intercepts. That would require a permanent placement of fighter jets on a place like Woody Island. But Woody Island is their biggest base in the South China Sea. It already has the facilities for that. It's kind of a matter of if, not when. Okay, well, I guess I'll have to see how that one plays out over mm-hmm. time. So now from discussing what might happen in the future in the South China Sea, we return to the here and now. Mm -hmm. The U.S. representative to the United Nations, Kelly Craft, on June the 1st submitted a diplomatic note that rebuked China over the nature of its claims in the South China Sea. That drew an immediate and angry response from Beijing, which is par for the course these days between the U.S. and China, Mm -hmm. accusing Washington of stirring up trouble. So, Drake, why did the U.S. submit this note at this time? Some people might think that you can put this in the same vein as the other uh, issues facing the USA and China right now. There's a lot of tension going on over issues like Hong Kong, trade, whatnot. This is probably more so because there's been a flurry of diplomatic notes rebuting China's claims in Southeast Asian countries. This was sent to the Commission on the Limits of the Continental Shelf. The note explicitly says, please post this on the website. And it explicitly cites the 2016 ruling between China and the Philippines by the Permanent Court of Arbitration that essentially invalidated all of China's claims. This is significant because this comes right after Indonesia's note citing that same ruling as well. It's a sign that the USA, Indonesia, the Philippines, and potentially other Southeast Asian countries like Vietnam are kind of getting on the same page and pushing back against China's claims in the South China Sea by citing that 2016 ruling basically the USA kind of piling on when other Southeast Asian countries have also kind of come around to the idea that they need to more forcefully say something. So the US is basically trying to encourage some solidarity among ASEAN nations in in pushing back against China's sweeping claims. Yeah, that's, that's how I would put it, actually. I think that the Indonesian note was very significant because it was the first country outside of the Philippines to explicitly cite that 2016 Permanent Court of Arbitration ruling. And it's important to note, Indonesia does not technically recognize a dispute with China. It doesn't recognize that it has a dispute with China, despite the fact that China has sent ships into its exclusive economic zone. That's part of Indonesia's foreign policy. So for it to publish a note like this is pretty significant. And I think the USA seized on that. I have no idea how long this had been planned, but said, okay, the Southeast Asian countries are starting to come together a little bit. We should encourage this the best way that we can. And the best way that we can do it is to submit our own note as well. So do you think there's much chance that that Southeast Asian nations will be able to stick together against China? I mean, that's a perennial that's a perennial hope of I think a lot of people outside and inside the region as well. I'm fairly optimistic that this is a sign that there's going to be a bit more alignment on the diplomatic front on what to say about China's claims. I think more Southeast Asian countries are coming around to the 2016 ruling as basing their own rebuttals to China's claims. I think you'll see it cited implicitly a lot more, and I think it'll give more weight to a potential second arbitration or a second legal measure taken by a different climate country, such as Vietnam or even Malaysia, who knows. But as for a coalition against China, that's a little bit tougher. I think this is a good, steady progress towards that. 
but it sort of remains to be seen. As an aside, I see that the Philippines this week did an about turn on its plans to end yes. a key military agreement with the U.S. Do you think this is part of the same trend? Yeah. So if you look at what the Philippines is saying, they didn't reverse it necessarily, but they were going to terminate the visiting forces agreement with the United States that allows U.S. soldiers and the U.S. military to have a presence in the country, exercise in the Philippines, access facilities there and whatnot. Duterte terminated that and it was going to expire essentially in August. And that would basically pretty much kill the U.S.-Philippine military relationship. But instead, they postponed the termination for six months a huge about face. And the rationale was essentially with COVID-19 going on and with growing superpower tensions, and that's pretty much a direct quote from the foreign secretary, we can't really afford to get rid of the VFA right now, we've reconsidered, and now it's essentially back on. And if they delay the termination for six months, that gives them time to renegotiate, save face, what have you. And I think it's it's also definitely in context of China's provocative actions in the South China Sea. It's given the Philippines something of a wake-up call to basically say, well, maybe getting rid of the VFA was not a good idea. If we really do want to have like an independent foreign policy or to have autonomy, we kind of do need a little bit of cooperation with the USA on this front. So I think that about face and these diplomatic notes are pretty tightly interwoven. Yeah. And the, the Philippine move is, is also significant because uh, you mentioned about Rodrigo Duterte, the Philippine mm-hmm. president. And since he took office in 2016, he sought closer ties with China. And yeah. this sort of um, goes in the face of that. Yeah, well, I mean, closer ties with China is what he promised. But the reality is it's much more difficult to do that without compromising some level of sovereignty. They canceled the VFA. I believe they gave the official termination in February. That same month, we found out that a Chinese warship had trained its radar gun, a Philippine Navy vessel. That kicked off a firestorm, a lot of diplomatic backlash. And I think those incidents started to pile up over time. I mean, if you look at the West Capella incident, you look at the the threat of an aid is and whatnot, all of these little actions that China takes puts it more and more ingrained in the Philippines kind of memory, in the Philippines mind. I mean, if we don't have a cooperation with the USA, if we don't have a cooperation with other Southeast Asian countries, I mean, we might get eaten alive here. I think that's the calculus a lot of different Southeast Asian countries are making right now when it comes to the South China Sea. Okay, we'll have to watch to see whether there's going to be a greater degree of solidarity among ASEAN nations in standing up to China over the South China Sea, or whether governments conclude that appeasing China, the the region's economic powerhouse, is more important. Thanks, Drake, for walking us through the diplomatic maneuverings and for sharing your thoughts on whether China will declare an air defense identification zone. No problem. And for those of you listening, please check out Drake's previous articles on those and other topics about the South China Sea at rfa.org and bananews.org. That's B-E-N-A-R, news, all one word. In particular, there's an interesting multimedia presentation on China's recent naming of 80 obscure features in the South China Sea. If you've any questions or feedback, please email us on South China Sea, or one word, at rfa.org, or follow Drake on Twitter. His handle is DRL underscore long. DRM underscore long. Oh, pardon me. That's fine. I'm Matt Pennington with Drake Long, the South China Sea reporter for Radio Free Asia and Banana News. This podcast series is created by Leo Kim and produced by Radio Free Asia. Thank you for listening and please join us again.